welcome to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast, where we talk to different mentors in the entertainment industry about how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Our guests so far this season include casting director Maribeth Fox, Emmy-winning executive producer and writer Eric Tuckman, CEO of Samuel Goldwyn Films, Ben Feingold, Oscar-nominated writer and director Deborah Granick, and more. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, and I appreciate you being here and listening to season four of Mentors on the Mic. It's crazy. If you haven't already, please follow and subscribe on the current platform you are listening to this on. And if you have the option, write a review. Give it five stars. It's fine. It's easy. It really helps. And I read every one. Find me on Instagram at mentors on the mic or at Michelle Simone Miller. And also see the like, look into the link in my bio because if you join my mailing list for mentors on the mic, you might even have the ability to ask a question to an upcoming guest. Also, I've been putting up some new reels with clips from the episodes that have been getting upwards of 15,000 views, which is insane. I had a lot of resistance to putting up reels um, that have either my face in them or have some sort of story component. And I just kind of bite the bit the bullet and I'm starting to do it more often. And it's been really awesome. So I'd love for you to check that out. And now our mentor this week is the incredible Amber Smith. You're going to love her. Amber started her career as a researcher on the Today Show before jumping into audio. She's worked on multiple sides of the podcast industry as a producer for SiriusXM and later joined the team that negotiated content partnerships for podcasts on SiriusXM and Pandora. She is now the Director of Audience Development at iHeartMedia, where she leads the team's podcast growth strategies, ensuring the content we pr- they produce for brands gets the largest reach. Amber is a force, okay? She gives us so many networking tips and discusses her incredible journey up from casting intern to production assistant to podcasts. I also love to hear that she has an acting background and is sure it will find her again. She's a breath of fresh air, guys. And if we lived in the same city, I would 100% want to hang out with her and be friends. I'm sure you'll love her personality as much as I did and all the tips that she gave us. Without further ado, here's... Amber Smith. Welcome, Amber, to Mentors on the Mic. I'm so, so thrilled that you agreed to come on. This is very exciting. I think I friend, like I like requested you on LinkedIn a while back, like it was like a few months ago. And I remember just being like, just send her a message about being on the podcast. And I like held off for a little bit. So I'm very thrilled about this. Thank you for coming on. So am I. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm super excited to be here today. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, Amber, you had so many different positions in the industry, and I personally find it very interesting because I think that people will really relate to it just based on the internships and like the first job you had, because a lot of people start off in the industry with those jobs, but then look at where it took you. So I guess I'll start with the first question I always ask is, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? My first role in the entertainment industry, I probably have to like go back to like college and internships. That was like my first, first role. And I was a casting intern <laughs> for Sony Films. Um, and I worked with Twinkie Bird. Love. 
<laughs> I mean, I've never like met yeah. her, but she's amazing on on social media. She is amazing on so. I'm so glad that like she's embraced socials the way she has because she's perfect for it. Yeah, I can't. This is crazy that I can't remember the name of the movie that we were casting for that summer. Um, but it was a movie. Uh, about a wedding. Uh, I'll tell it to you later. Maybe we put it in the show notes. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, mom yeah. brain. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> oh, your mom. I love my mom. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Yes. Well, so what, what did you like about being a casting intern for her? I learned so much. I was a theater major. Well, I double ma- majored in theater and uh, communications with the entertainment industry. Yeah. So I learned a lot just about the process when it comes to casting a film and like all that goes into it. Like, you know, it would just be like walls of headshots, right? And like helping them prepare for auditions and just seeing the process behind the scenes that I was going, you know, going up for as an actress at the time. Um, really understanding that process was, was huge. And it was super exciting to work on a film with Twinkie Bird for one and like a Sony film that was going to be in theaters. Um, We later did a screening with um, a bunch of the cast members at my school. I went to USC after, after that internship. So it was just, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And I also think it gave me, um, it gave me an appetite for the other sides of the industry. So many times there's so many roles that we don't see, but have such an active role in storytelling. So casting for me was just another piece of storytelling that felt really good. I love that too, because I I mean, one of the reasons why I created this podcast was for that specific thing, the idea that we don't know what roles are out there. We don't know what roles we can get from something like a casting internship. And like, we have no idea that the, you know, an end line could be this, right? We just think to ourselves, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe they can continue with casting and that's it. But it's actually a really great sort of gateway into something else or can be. Um, Let me ask, how did you get that casting internship? How do you even hear about casting internships? Um, like I said before, I was a theater major at USC and there, I believe I was also president of the Black Entertainment and Theatrical Association. And so like the connections kind of just flowed through there from alumni, like Devon Franklin, um, who was a producer on the film and the film was Jumping the Broom. I just remembered it. Um, he's an alumni of SC. And so he kind of connected me with that internship opportunity. Yeah, that's huge because I I will say this. I went to Brandeis University, great university. I love it in a lot of ways. They were not helpful in in pairing <laughs> me with internships. And when I graduated yeah. and I started learning more because I, I knew I wanted to be an actor. But as I started learning more, I thought to myself, oh, man, I wish I did a casting internship. I wish I had yeah. an internship at a manager agent's office. And I went to them and they just were like, oh, we can't we don't have alum that we can set you up with. We don't know what kind mm-hmm. of internships would be good for you. Um, and yeah. I wish I did know more about the industry. So I'm glad anyone who's in college right now, these are great internships to learn about the industry and learn like what what kind of roles are out there and 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 get your feet wet in the in the industry. So that's awesome. I'm so glad that they like supported you in that. Yeah, I will say like as you're building your career, for me, relationships have been my superpower. Like the people that you have relationships with, um, even after grad school, um, I went to grad school for journalism and um, it was um, a professional association that I was with, the National Association of Black Journalists. I went to a conference and that's how I got my first job in journalism at the Today Mm. Show. So it's all relationships. Um, Those relationships really matter. For sure. Well, so before the Today Show, you were a researcher. uh, You were were at WBRZ. Was that it? WBRZ. You were PA. And I love, and I think that's important too because it's a great also like being a production assistant can you tell us a little bit about how you got that job and what you did there 
Sure. So after graduation, there was a lot of films being made in Louisiana. So I got an agent down there, started auditioning. And in the midst of being, you know, you know, being a working actress, auditioning and I think I worked at uh, Bare Minerals in the makeup counter. I was like, what, what other ways can I like tap into storytelling? You know, nice. like what other ways? Because at the heart of what I want to do is be a storyteller. And so journalism always had been like a desire of mine, um, even when I was back at USC. So I saw an open role and I applied at the, the local news station and I got that role and it was for a production assistant on the morning show. So it was <laughs> a crazy, a crazy ride when you talk about work hours. Yeah. But I learned so much. Um, and when you're a PA, I don't know about the film industry, but in, in news, you really have an opportunity to soak up so much and everybody was really open, you know, like after after my shift for the reporters on the next shift who would do like the noon show, the four o'clock show, I'd be like, hey, can I ride along with you for your stories? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. So I would stay and like ride along with them for their stories, see how they did that, how that process was, how they put it together, help out in any way. Um, and that's really, I think... A, a tool, a gem that I've used throughout my career and how I've shifted from so many different roles. It's just being yeah. like, hey, I want to do that. Let me go ask them if they mind if I... If yes. I, you know, sit front seat with them, back seat with them while they, while they do their thing so I can learn. You take the yeah. initiative. Yeah. Like if there's something you want to do, just... Just ask for it. Yeah. People... Yeah. Just ask. Shoot your shot. Shoot your yeah, shot. Shoot your shot. You know? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and so, so you were there for a bit and then did you go after that, after being a PA, did you go that then I think to journalism school or did you? All at the same time. So I was in journalism school and working. Uh, yeah. Working How at did WBIZ. you do that? And did, was this like, I don't was know. this, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the amount of time that that does, like to overlap that way. Were you also auditioning at the same time or is that when you kind No, of- no. I, I, when I was in school, I wasn't auditioning. Um, I kind of just like focused in on what I was doing at that time. Mm. So when did you stop then? What made you stop auditioning? I think just wanting to go to grad school. And once I got into it, I was like, there's no way that I can keep up both at the same time. There was just no way for me to do that. So I just kind of focused in on one form of storytelling. I'm very big on being like, there's so many lives to live in this one lifetime. I agree. So I have no doubt that that's going to come back around for me. Yeah, you know it oh, has popped up from time to time. Yeah, like, yeah, like there's so many, there's so many lives to live in this lifetime. I'm never stuck in one role just because I'm in it now. So yeah, I have no doubt that that'll come back around for me too. Well yeah. done. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, I love <laughs> that feeling so much. And that's when you said you got your job through connections, through being able to network. You know, you became a researcher at the Today Show. What are some of your favorite memories there? From the Today Show. Oh, my God. So I worked there during a really intense time. So I was there um, in 2015 leading up to the 2016 election. (laughs) There's a lot going on in the world then, right? Right. Um, And I was on the breaking news and politics team. But I think biggest lessons I learned, like the the best thing about the Today Show, though, was knowing that your work was going to be seen by the country, the world. Right. So there was a lot of pride in that of like knowing like the image, like I'm choosing the images that you see of this event, of of this debate, of this X, Y, and Z. Like I'm the person choosing those images because I would create a lot of the images for all of our VO packaging and stuff. And it was really, it was a really intense job. Like I have so much respect for those who choose the role of journalism as storytellers. You're the first tellers of history. You know, yeah. and it's a huge responsibility and it's an intense role. That was like media boot camp 
all around from soup to nuts, like how you build a story to the images you put behind it, to the people telling the story on the camera. Like it's just incredible learning experience, a really incredible learning experience. And yeah, you're right. I've never really thought of it that way, but there is an immense responsibility of being the ones to to share that news for the first time with people, that people all over the country are going, okay, I'm relying on you to try to give me as much of you got, you can, you can direct their attention at certain things. You can choose the right images that they'll hold on to when they think of certain moments in their lives. Right. It's a lot. It is. It's a big responsibility. And like um, during that time frame, there was a lot of terror attacks happening. Right. So like I would get like all that footage and then like parse through to see like, okay, what what's actually necessary to tell the story? Like, yeah, it's a it's an immense job. Like I said, I have immense respect. Yeah. Immense respect. Yeah. So when you were there, did you sort of have an idea already of where you wanted to end up? Or were you kind of just like, I'm open. I have so many ideas of what I'd wanted. Like, what was your what was going through your mind then as to like what you wanted to do? I mean, that job honestly was like a crossroads for me because I was like, oh, I'm in the I'm in the dream position. Right. So that role was really a crossroads for me um, career wise because I was like, okay, I'm living the dream. Right. Like I'm at the Today Show. I'm at the number one morning show in news. You know, and I really thought like I wanted to grow, grow in that. I wanted to be a producer. I was figuring out what I wanted to do, like exploring all the roles in the newsroom. Maybe I'll be a booker, all this stuff. But like I said, being in that news cycle is extremely challenging. And jobs like that are not just a job, they're your life. You know, I would work 10 to 14 hour days daily because that's that's news, you know? It's intense in that way. So it's like, I thought this was the dream, but it's also really draining me. Like, I'm like, I can see myself burning out really fast. And like, this doesn't, this life doesn't kind of allow for balance. So I started to, to like, and like, kind of freak out, like, what is next for me? Like, what is next? This is what I've worked towards. This is what I've been dreaming about. What's really going to come next? And honestly, my shift into audio was like (laughs) the best plot twist (laughs) thus far because literally SiriusXM slid into my DMs on LinkedIn. That's how that happened. Yeah. Like I hadn't even listened to a podcast when they hit me up for that first role. And I was like, well, it was new. I mean, this was what? Yeah. It was a few years ago. Like this. Yeah. This was like 2016. Yeah. It was, it was new. I felt like there's only a couple going on. People really didn't know about it. They knew one or two maybe. And that's it. Yeah. I didn't listen to podcasts. (laughs) Right. And like when I tell you it was the best plot twist, it's the best plot twist because I love this industry. So yeah, so they slid into my DMs and I was like, you know, looking for the next thing. I was like, well, let me try it out, right? It's still yeah. media. It's still storytelling. Let me try it out. So 2016, SiriusXM had built this entire podcast team. They wanted to launch this app, but they weren't really sure what they were doing. The team that I was on, I actually got the first like podcast original by them greenlit, which was like a news show. So I was going to have like my own news podcast, right? right? But I never really, you know, saw the day of light because they kept being like, well, we don't know what we want to do, how we want to position ourselves. So that team was like a real challenge of that company, just like not kind of understanding where they exactly wanted to go in the industry at that time. Now they're killing right. it. So not worried about them anymore. Yeah, not worried about them at all. So during my journey there, which I had a great journey there, um, I learned a lot and I was producing. So when when they finally got figured out what they want to do, okay, let's use some of our talent that's already that already have really successful shows on the network, like let's create podcasts for them. So I was a part of that first kind of producing group that really created podcasts for them. Then when we acquired Pandora, um, Pandora was launching podcasts on their platform. We kind of met with the Pandora team. And one area that I never really thought about was partnerships, podcast partnerships are like So tell, so tell people- our audience what that means because a lot of people don't know. 
Yeah, for sure. I didn't know. I didn't know this. You know, I, you know, I didn't realize this was going on. So in a partnerships role, you kind of either bring talent to the table of like, hey, we want to have them on our platform, or it could be a huge network that already exists like NPR or Wondery. It's like creating the agreement um, between the platform and the content to have the content on our platform. Like, what does that agreement look like? And then when that, once that agreement's in place, managing that relationship. So like, I would be on the phone with NPR and wondering once once every uh, month, like, what do you guys have coming up? What's going on? Like, how can we support you? How can we boost listening uh, for your shows on our platform? What are you excited about right now? And I think I mentioned before that relationships are my superpower, right? Yeah. So like that was such a good role for me. Yeah. Because I got to just build relationships and rapport and like figure out how to build podcast listening um, on this new app. So it was working, you know, with tons of internal marketing teams and just, um, and then, you know, the partners too, and it, and it kind of building that bridge between them of like what content is coming, what content is hot and like what content is hot on our app. You know, mm. what are what is what are our audiences like? So that role, I just it, it expanded. It just expanded my whole range of understanding of media and audiences because you can make great content, but if it can't meet its people, then you know it's not it's not getting to its people, right? So yeah, that kind of like yeah, it just expanded my understanding. I, I really loved I love that whole experience. Um, so we ended up launching my team ended up launching podcasts on Pandora and then later launching podcasts on the SiriusXM app, and we kind of went through that same that same process but how i ended up on that partnerships team was the same way like we had a lull in production um and producing on the podcast side and i was like you know what i'm kind of interested in this partnership thing you know let me see what it's about so i went over (laughs) to um the vp of podcast partnerships at the time and was like hey hi i'm amber i work you know in podcasts and producing but i'm totally interested do you guys need any help and he was like yes we need help like would love to get some help, would love, you know, wow. and he was like so totally down to like teach me the game of like what we were doing. So I just helped out in little we- little ways at first, just like yeah. organizing things for them and organizing the ingestion of all this audio, like real technical stuff. But then I was spending more time with them, joining them in their meetings, joining them in the partnerships meetings to see how it went. So as soon as Headcount opened up on that team, hi. I was there, ready, trained. <laughs> and, you know, amazing. a lot of that does require, like, extra digging work. in and having the privilege of time to do the extra work, right? It definitely paid off in the end. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. So that's kind of how I... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so you fell into that, but, like, what, what do you... I mean, you fell into that in the sense that you worked really hard for it, not like that, but just that the position yeah. kind of was there and you kind of were like, hey, yeah. remember me? I You've been training me. But yes. what do you think... <laughs> what, are, what are some... Let's say someone's interested in a role like that. What do you think that they mm-hmm. should have? What do you think that they should do? What do you think that they should sort of prepare themselves for if they want a role like that, if that makes sense? For a role for partnerships? Yeah. I think I think relationships, um, honestly, like make, I don't know if, if you're at a platform or at a place that has those type of roles already, then like get acquainted. You know, if you're not find somebody who's in that role and slide into their LinkedIn DMs. Like, you know, just try and build those relationships. Are there any like organizations around that that provide mentors or anything like get involved in those? Because in my early career, it really was those programs like the Black Entertainment and Theatrical Association yeah. being involved in that and having the alumni, you know, reach down and bring us up. And yes. then it was the National Association of Black Journalists that gave me the connections and the conversations that got me to the Today Show. Love so it. just, yeah, I really, like I really want to stress. Yeah. Find community. Find community. And like, 
Yeah. Yeah. I stre- yeah. Stress the importance of that. And if, if you're determined, you know, keep being determined, keep knocking on those doors, keep sending those emails, whatever you got to do to kind of really get your foot in the door there. Yeah. Phenomenal advice. Thank you. That's beautiful. <laughs> and then, um, so simultaneously, you're, you're handling a lot, it seems. I mean, tell me if I, you know, I have the timeline wrong, but you were also, you were producing podcasts such as like Jenny McCarthy's podcast, Reality Check, mm-hmm. News and Feuds, Entertainment Weekly Spotlight. Mm-hmm. You were also hosting at one point your own podcast. Is that correct? Yes. Those timelines did not intersect, though. So it was after yes. each other. <laughs> yes. And, yes. But that intersected with Pandora, right? With the director of content yes. partnership. Producing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that those two intersected before I got the full-time role, um, full-time partnerships role. So yeah, I was producing, but then I was like, hey, can you guys, can I help you guys out? Got and it. doing what I could with the time that I did have. And then how was it hosting your own podcast? Oh, that was, that was, that was everything, right? Right? You did right, everything Michelle? for like, it, right? Not, I yeah. feel like it's, it's different when you're hosting your own, when you're producing your own. It's different, right? Well, I was, I was producing it with, with SiriusXM. So I did have a team. True. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it wasn't truly on my own, but it was, it was great. It was so much fun. It was doing news the way that I dreamed of doing news. So it was, it was great. Yeah. Do you miss it? Because then, you know, when you left SiriusXM, that means you left that that podcast you left all the stuff you were doing yeah when did you make how did you make that choice to move into slate okay so <laughs> so um I, yes i miss it uh yes i miss having that podcast it was a really really fun time um a really fun part of life so how did i move from pandora series xm to slate yeah. so like i said um i would meet with these networks slate was one of my partners that i managed I would meet with these networks all the time. But honestly, I was just ready for growth. And there wasn't really the opportunity for that at the time at SiriusXM. But I knew I wanted to step into something new, step into the next level of my career. And so I was like, I saw this position at Slate and I was like, audience development. I think I can do that. Because I think that translates with kind of like what I do here of like building audiences on our platform. This is just translating to a specific network in its catalog. So um, this was right around the time that we acquired Stitcher. And oh. Stitcher had a senior manager of audience development, which is an exact role at Slate. So I like emailed them. I was like, hey, can we talk? And I was like, do you think I can do this? And they were like, oh, you can totally do this. So they prepped me with like what they do on an everyday basis, like how to get through the interview, prepped me for the interview, um, you know, gave me just all all the golden nuggets of the job. And I was like, yeah, I can definitely do this. And this is really crazy because <laughs> at the time I had just had my son. Wow. I just had a baby and I was on maternity leave, <laughs> actually, <sighs> and like interviewing for this slate position, too. So, yeah, yeah, life. I'm telling you these plot twists. But um, yeah. So I was on maternity leave and I started the interview process for Slate. You're like, hold on. I just finished breastfeeding. I'm ready for my interview now. Literally, literally it was so funny um, because I, I like hopped on the interview and I had like a baby song playing like on the computer. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a great icebreaker. Great icebreaker. I think it was Baby Shark or something like something to that nature. Yeah. Something <laughs> playing with the baby. Weirdly catchy and just very much for Terrible. Kids. Yeah. Yes, very much for kids. But yeah, and so when I came back from returning leave, I put in my two weeks at SiriusXM and moved over to that role at Slate. And you are now Senior Audience Development Manager. So what exactly are the responsibilities for a Senior Audience Development Manager? 
Sure. So audience development is kind of exactly what it sounds like. The the team creates a new show. And then so my job is to fi- to build and find, it, find an audience and build an audience for it. Yes. Like who's this show for? You know, we have to identify who's this show for and where are these people? Where are they? Are, what are they already listening to? Where do we find them? How do we get the show in front of them? Which is so perfect for a storyteller, right? Because that's like the first yeah. thing you should do, right? When you're telling a story. Exactly. So, so who are you making it for? Yeah. What kind of things did you learn in that position? Well, well, I mean, obviously, once you identify what audience you want, how do you go about going and getting them? See, then that's and that's where like a lot of experimentation comes in. Creativity. Um, yeah, and there, but there are a lot of like tried and true things that work too. Like one yeah. thing again, audience development is still a lot of relationships. So I'm still meeting with like all my network contacts that I would met with before on a regular basis. Because right. now we're seeing like how can we support each other with this content? So how like whether it's putting an ad for this new show that I have, we do a lot of ad swaps. So we'll put an ad for a show that we have and an, uh, and another show that has a similar audience or an audience that we want to gain. Um, and then we'll do the same in our show. So we'll add swap. So yes. we'll like share audiences a lot. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like one, one tactic that works really well. And it's good because you get to still stay connected to everything that's kind of happening. And we're all like sharing tips and tricks and like sharing audiences, really sharing space. Are they host read? I feel like mm-hmm. from what I've heard, the research I found is always like host read or yeah. better. So it's like for host, those of you listening. Read are definitely better. Yeah. yeah for those of you yeah. listening, that means like when you listen to your favorite podcast and like, let's say the hosts of Smart List, for instance, are talking about another podcast on the Wondery app, they're sharing their feelings about it as opposed to playing like these random hosts on on their podcast and having them right. talk about how great it is. So great. Podcast swaps are great. Anything else yes. that you were like, yes, this works. There's so many things. We, we we would do newsletter swaps with like newsletters that were relevant to the topic that yeah. we were producing. Um, we do um, feed drops, which podcast lingo is like putting an entire episode in another show's feed. So like somebody's getting an intro from the host, like, hey, I'm the host of Mentors on the Mic and I think you'd really like this episode. And yeah. we have like an entire episode and we do the same for them. Yeah, but I could talk about I could talk about audience development for days. Yeah, I did that once with um with the New York Women in Film and Tele- Television, Nywish, oh, has a cool. podcast. And so we switched uh, episodes. I think they played my Marta Kaufman episode and I played, forgot their episode, but I played it and it was really, really good. But I only think Very I played cool. it like a like a snippet of it. I think I played like okay. 20 minutes of yeah. it or 25 minutes of it. That way they could hopefully go to theirs for the rest. To the feed and finish it. But yeah. it's a great, great, great idea. strategy. I mean, so there's a lot of things yeah. that go into this. And so you kind of just learn how to mm-hmm. identify your particular, did, were you responsible for one podcast? there or just like all the podcasts on that platform? The entire catalog. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot of audiences to cover. There's a lot of audiences, but one of the cool things about being with a network is if they listen to one show on your network, they probably will listen to another. So there's a lot to play with even internally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So in 2022, you then transitioned to Director of Audience Development of Custom Podcasts at iHeartMedia, which is where you are now. Very exciting. So can you give me a little idea of like, what does that entail? What, What podcasts are under your belt? that you work on? Yeah. Yeah. So this role is very different um, from my role at Slate in that now um, working with custom podcasts means branded. Yeah. So when a brand comes to us and like, hey, we want to make this show, our team makes the show. And then I am responsible for building an audience for that show. But I work pretty integrally with the entire network. Um, and, you know, iHeart is a bohemoth of a podcast Huge. network. We have over 600 Huge. shows. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, as a bohemian. Yeah, I kind of worked hand in, I work hand in hand with like the marketing team for 
for the podcast network, but also this customs team and sales because there's like, you know, there's there's a brand attached to the shows that I work on. So the the the, the funnest part about being in branded versus editorial is the budgets. I get I get nice budgets to work with. Nice. And with budgets come with like a lot of experimentation and seeing like what can work, um, what can't work. And so my role is really to like go out and try new things, see what's yeah. sticky, what creates sticky audiences. And if there's something that's uh, particularly really successful, like how can we implement that across the rest of the network? Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds so fun and creative. Are there anything, yeah. like, is there anything in particular that you can share with us in terms of like one, you know, one thing that you've thought of or one thing that you really love doing with a brand or a partnership or one of those things? Like, is there something that you tried out that was really fun that worked really well? Well, the, the really fun part about, so a lot of my job in this role too is data. I'm like oh. down deep in it. I have become a data nerd. Like what is, what are the numbers? What's working? What's the conversion rate? You know, like how is this translating? How is this really working? I think one thing that's really been fun is when shows come back to us for a season two. Yeah. I'm able to optimize what we learned from season, season one. one. Like we tried, yeah. you know, these five things, this really worked or the audience from this show really converted over to our right. show. So how can we invest more in this type of audience or audiences like this? So I think, I think the best part of this role for me is like the data, like digging in because and really learning how to understand and optimize. Like that gives me like a little bit of a high. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Okay, season two, like like, this is how we're going to grow this audience. And this is how, um, you know, how I predict the growth going. Like so really being able to understand and predict how things work. And sometimes like the conversions are really surprising. You're like, what? Yeah, like I didn't I had no idea that that was going to do as well as it did. Yeah, yeah, one of our shows that was very like uh female focused and like female empowerment had really great conversion with true crime. <laughs> Which is like it kind of makes sense, right? Because like kind of does that's the audience to true crime, right? Like who listens to true crime? So it expanded my understanding of like adjacent audiences, like who is our audience, but what else are they listening to? Where else can I find them in unexpected places? So it allowed me to really get like data like that because we can run things across our whole network and see like across our whole network and all these genres what really matches with this. And sometimes it's really surprising matches that you'll find. Yeah, yeah. So that was really exciting and that was really interesting to explain to the client because they're like, wait, we don't want our content with with crime. We're like, no, no, no. You're like, no, no, I promise. This is actually really, this works. Yeah, this is actually really great. It really works. Yes. So a lot of this seems to really overlap with building and sort of nurturing community. Do you feel like that's a huge part? Do you think about that a lot and how, how we can find ways to not only obviously increase our audience, but nurture the ones we have so that they obviously send it to people and like connect with yeah. and share. So how, how yeah. does that factor into some of your day-to-day process? If that makes sense. I think community should be, yeah, it should be top of mind, especially with specific podcasts. Like for one podcast that we, um, we launched last year, it's one of my most successful launches this far. It's called symptomatic. And it was, it took you on a journey and it was hosted by Lauren Bright Pacheco, who's a true crime host. Um, but it, it gave like a narrative spin to people trying to figure out diagnoses for these like really complicated diseases, like have these symptoms, no di- doctor can figure it out. So it takes you on their journey from what's going on with me to diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that like shows like that really foster a lot of community because people are 
listening because they relate or like right. people are really like, are getting like aha moments about their own health. So like that was like top of mind for me the entire time, especially when I'm thinking about how we're doing our social. Do we want to create groups um, that people can discuss episodes in? What does that look like? How how can we manage that? You know, with that yeah. so community is always top of mind. Like how can we build you know, like what's the response going to be? And like, how can we build a place for that, for that community to live, for that engagement to continue to happen? Because we love an engaged audience. You know, yeah, when you have an engaged it. audience, they're the ones who are, who are telling other people about it, who are sharing it with their friends, who are saying, you've got to listen to this. Do you guys also do sponsored ads a lot of the time? Or is it different for different podcasts? Because I feel like, you know, when it's run by iHeartMedia, it could go either way. They might not need to rely so heavily on sponsors, etc. No, there's there's definitely a lot of shows that have like sponsored seasons or a sponsored event or sponsored episodes for sure. And especially if there's a branded one, I assume that's the one that's yeah. going to sponsor. You know well, what I mean? Like brand, that's right. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. All the ads that run are, are going to be for the brand. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But then that's also why you want an engaged audience. You want them to also participate yes. and give back and, and potentially buy stuff from the brand. Excellent. Yeah. And do you guys also, do you ever think about like events that you would create to like foster community and develop the audience? Oh, for sure. And that's kind of like getting back into the, <laughs> into the swing of things. We love doing live events, having live events, having podcast installations at other iHeart events like the iHeart Music Festival or yeah. the iHeart Music Awards. We have the iHeart Podcast Awards. So that, I think that's right. always top of mind of ways to, to get engagement and get folks involved, um, and really interacting with our content. That's definitely something we are always thinking about and, and finding more and more ways to accomplish now that we're kind of, you know, transitioning to a different phase of the pandemic. I don't know if we can say we're out of it, but like... I know, whatever this in-between thing is. Whatever this is. <laughs> whatever this time is now. Excellent. So, Amber, let me ask you a couple questions. So obviously, there's incredible growth with podcasts. We're entering what yeah. a lot of people call like the golden era of podcasting. And like yeah. revenue is expected to hit like, what, $2 billion or something in 23 and 2023 and like $4 billion mm-hmm. next year. So, what would you tell someone? I mean, obviously, I'm, I I hear all the time of friends of mine going, hey, I want to start a podcast. Obviously, this is even, you know, I, I almost yeah. feel like we've been always saying that we're like at this precipice or at this peak, but like it just keeps growing. So what would you say to someone who is just starting a podcast? What are a couple things that you feel like they should know? They've got to be consistent. If you really want, want a successful con- a podcast, you've got to be consistent. Really understand who you're making your show for. Like before you put it out, why why do you want to make a podcast? What do you want to make it about? Who, who is it for? And really understand that audience and that audience potential, depending on the goal, your goals for that show. So I think having a really solid understanding of who your audience is, where they are, what they're listening to already mm-hmm. is only going to help you, only going to help you. And find the shows out there that are like yours or that have the same audience as you or are in the same stage as you and, and, and promote each other, <laughs> yeah. promote each other, help each other build for sure. Like build community in, in, in that way. But yeah, I think the most important things to think about are like, who am I making this show for? Where are they? And like, how can I launch this in a way where I can be consistent? This is something that people can consistently count on and see. Amazing. How and and well, so consistency is always an interesting thing because a lot of times, you know, podcasters sometimes like sort of set up in seasons, like, for example, Mentors on the Mic is like a season based podcast. So how would you recommend staying consistent while on a hiatus between seasons? Well, if you're if your content's evergreen, 
then it can always it's be true. promoted. Is that great? Can, uh, during that hiatus, you can still be growing audience by doing ad swaps. Like right. there's there's still ways to keep keep yourself in the conversation and tap audience that you haven't tapped yet, even when Amazing. you're out of season. Great advice. And the last question I would like to ask mentors sometimes, and I I think it's particular because it's an ever-growing kind of uh, answer, but what is your definition of success? I know. And this is something you might answer differently than you did three years ago or five years from now. But like right now, what does that mean to be successful for you? What does that mean to have success? I think success is when... Mm you find when you find meaning in your work every day, like when you get up and you go to work and you really find meaning and purpose, you know, you can leave work feeling good or or good about what you've accomplished. That feels like success to me. And success for me is not just professional. It's a balance, right? I'm a mom, I'm a single mom. Um, you know, and so success for me is when I really feel grounded at peace and at balanced. Like I, when I love my work, um, when I'm feeling good, you know, about my home and my baby, you know, like really finding that balance and life is so important because I've been in so many situations where I've been burnt out and you think you're living the dream, right? But that burnout really isn't, <laughs> that really isn't the dream. So finding spaces and places that value you as a human mm-hmm. and allow you to have a life where you feel purposeful and balanced um, in your work and home life, I think that's success for me that success for me. I love that. Thank you so much, Amber. This has been absolutely phenomenal. I loved chatting with you. And also like, it's great because, you know, you're just, you're such a positive light. Like I just feel like in listening to you and how you've, you know, interacted and how you've approached every role, it seems like, and, and your thoughts and your advice on networking and opening a podcast, there's just, there's so much, lighten you. And I just, I I hope everyone who listens can like fully understand (laughs) that because it's so apparent to me. So thank you for coming on and for sharing your story with us and, and, and sharing your experiences because, you know, that's what it's all about. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, you can also find me at, at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast, and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. 